morning, everyone. It's good to see you all and be sharing my thoughts with you this morning. The topic of my talk this morning is beginning anew. Uh, even though it was in theaters almost 30 years ago, I'm guessing that most of you have seen the film Groundhog Day, in which Bill Murray plays a reporter who goes to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania on February 2nd, Groundhog Day, to see whether Puxatawney Phil, the groundhog, will see his own shadow. The tradition goes that if it's a sunny day and he sees his shadow, there will be six weeks more of cold winter. But if it's overcast and he doesn't see his shadow, there will be an early spring. The reporter, played by Murray, wakes up in his hotel room at 6 a.m. on the 2nd to the sound of Sonny and Cher singing, I've got you, babe, followed by an enthusiastic announcer who says, all right, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, it's cold outside. The day unfolds as a pretty normal Groundhog Day, and Murray goes to bed in the hotel that night, expecting to return to New York the next morning. But when the radio wakes him at 6 a.m. the next morning, he hears the exact same song, and the same message, and soon realizes that it's not the next day, it's not February 3rd, but February 2 is happening all over again. And as we watch the movie, we see him awake again and again to February 2, the same scene. He is stuck in time and can't seem to escape Groundhog Day. Uh, this film is one that I think most of us remember and it's often quoted because it so clearly epitomizes an experience I think we've all had at one time or another, which is that of feeling stuck in time. And that's in normal times. But the last 12 months have not been normal times, right? We are now just about at the time where the COVID pandemic has put us in quarantine, hibernation, isolation for a full year. This coming Wednesday will mark the one year anniversary of the last day that I went to my office before beginning to work remotely from home. And I'm guessing that for many of you, that anniversary is coming up just about now. It was a year ago this month that we began doing Dharma services online. Can you believe it's been a whole year? Sometimes it feels like this year has gone by very quickly and yet at other moments it feels like an eternity. Time is such a strange thing. For many, I think it's felt like a year of constant repetition of being stuck in time, much like the character in Groundhog Day. Lately, when I do virtual therapy with my clients and I ask them at the beginning of a session, how has your week been? I often receive a, a answer like, nothing has changed. It's been the same as last week, the week before that, and several weeks before that. <laughs> now, I'm sure that most of us can resonate with that feeling. There's no question that our lives have been restricted this past year in ways that we've never experienced before, and let's hope we never have to experience again. I know for myself, the physical world that I have spent 99% of my time in in the last 12 months has consisted of about one square mile of New York City, and on many days, it's more like four square blocks. When you are at home 24-7, the days have a way of kind of melding into one another. Saturdays and Sundays, I think, are still a bit different because for most of us, they are days off from work. But in lots of ways, they don't seem that different in COVID from weekdays. And one weekday seemed very much like another. In fact, you know that the question that has most been put uh, asked on Google in the last 12 months has been, 
what day is it? In normal times, there are certain things we associate with Mondays, Wednesdays, or Fridays. But in COVID times, these distinctions seem to blur. An example of this uh, happened to me uh, a few days ago during President's Day. I was totally oblivious to the fact that February 15 was, I always take that day off. I was totally oblivious to the fact it was President's Day. I scheduled a full load of clients, saw them all that day, only realizing afterward that it was President's Day. One day seems very much like another. Yet I think if we look deeper, we would see that the past 12 months may not have been as uneventful or repetitive as they may seem. While we have probably established more consistent routines during this time, which I think we needed to do, I think we've also experienced more change than we realize. For one thing, look at how much the world has changed in the last year. 2020 is certainly not a year that we will remember with much fondness or ever want to repeat, but many significant things have occurred during that year. Of course, most notable and tragic, it was a year of horrible suffering and death for millions of people, and that's what will doubtless be most remembered about the year 2020. We all have suffered from isolation and separation and many from loss and grief. But there were also some very good things that happened that year. For one thing, the rapid development of COVID vaccines in a time frame that has never been done before was an amazing scientific achievement and will ultimately hopefully save millions of lives. And I think will probably be the single most important factor in ending the pandemic. I just got my second vaccination last week. And I just heard a few days ago that while developing the COVID vaccine, scientists have discovered that using that same mRNA technology they think they have found a vaccine that could eradicate malaria. Could this be an example of grace arising from harm? On the political front, we saw a change in regime in this country that has replaced an ethos, an ethos of toxic destruction and self-serving greed with the hopeful promise of a society that will at least for the next few years, hopefully be governed more by compassion by positive economic, social, and environmental change, enabling us to dare to hope for a better society and a better world than we've seen in the last four years. This for me is a clear example on a collective level of having begun anew. Socially, the past year we experienced the power and conviction of the Black Lives Movement, which emerged so strongly after the awful killing of George Floyd. Hopefully this has begun to make us more aware of the systemic racism in our society and the role that we all have played in perpetuating that system. And that awareness has the potential to lead us toward attitudes and actions that eventually could erase toxic racism in our society. And that could prove to be a critical social example of beginning anew. While the larger collective changes of last year are more dramatic, I'm sure that a lot of individual changes have occurred for many of us as well. If you stop and think about it, do you feel that you are the same person now that you were a year ago? Or has this year of pandemic changed you? I think that most, if not all of us, would agree that going through this extraordinary year has changed us in some and for some of us many ways. And one way of assessing that, how we may have changed, is in thinking about how are we anticipating the future. A term that one hears a lot these days is the new normal. 
But you know, I haven't met anyone, not one person who thinks that when this pandemic is over, hopefully within the next several months, that things will return to how they were before the pandemic began. Too many changes have occurred in medicine, in technology, in work habits, in our understanding of human relationships and how we value them. Too many changes for us to simply fall back into the habitual way of life we knew just 13 months ago. Things are going to be different. What we don't know yet is how will they be different? How what we have experienced during this pandemic will have shaped who we become post-pandemic. What will beginning anew in a post-pandemic world be like for us? As we think about that, we may tend to think that this will be determined largely by external political, social, and economic events and realities, by things largely outside of our control. And those realities will doubtless have significant effect upon us as they always do. But I think in the final analysis, we become how we we become or how we change and adapt in the post-pandemic time will be determined by how we respond to those realities in which we find ourselves. And here's where the words of the vow to the truth of Irwan's song take on real meaning for me. We chanted this morning, as permanent Irwan naturally unfolds the endless world, as impermanent Irwan manifests itself as numberless worlds for the cycle of formation, endurance, decay, and void of the universe, and the birth, aging, illness, and death of all things. Irwan affects us in accordance with the use of our minds and bodies. Irwan lets the four forms of birth change our destinies for the six directions of rebirth, progressing or regressing, and allowing favor to arise from harm or harm from favor. Now, these words take on new meaning for me when I think about the post-pandemic world. And the words that really stick out to me here are, in accordance with the use of our minds and bodies. We're taught in Buddhism that change is the constant, the natural state of things. And Cliff eloquently described this in his Dharma talk two weeks ago. It's hard for our minds to grasp that everything, including ourselves, is changing constantly, literally every moment. On one level, that can be a kind of frightening thought since we crave stability and permanence. But at the same time, it's a comforting thought to know that we will never be permanently stuck in an unchanging or unchangeable situation. Whatever life, the world, or the universe may throw at us, we have something to say about how we will respond. And our response will be, quote, in accordance with the use of our minds and bodies. So who we become and how we respond to change when this pandemic is over will depend largely on us. And it's something that will not happen once and then be finished. It'll be a constantly evolving process. One of the precepts of Buddhism that I find most helpful, I've probably quoted far too many times, and Dallas will continue to do so, is this is the first day of the rest of my life. Or to be more precise, this is the first moment of the rest of my life. So simple, and yet I think so profound. Whatever has happened before does not have to define me because within the limits of my own physical, mental, and environmental conditions, I will be responsible for and decide what my next action will be. 
for me, there's a wonderful sense of freedom in that realization that flies in the face of fundamentalistic concepts of predestination or inescapable destiny that we can't escape. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here and talking too much about post-pandemic scenarios because we're still very much in the midst of this pandemic. Well, I think there's good reason to be hopeful that the pandemic will be largely under control by the summer or the fall. We still have several months ahead of us where we're going to continue to live in a kind of restricted and isolated existence, albeit hopefully with an expectation that we can begin to see a light at the end of the tunnel. So what does beginning anew mean in the context of our current ongoing situation? One of the things I've discovered in my therapy practice this past year is that many of my clients, having had more time for self-reflection during the past 12 months, have begun questioning the direction and meaning of their lives and their work. The psychologist Eric Erickson addressed this issue when he spoke about what he called the eight ages of man, which was the title of a talk I gave maybe 10 years ago here. Erickson felt that the lifespan could be divided into eight different periods each of which is marked by a developmental task that we feel driven to fulfill by virtue of being human. It's kind of built into our DNA. And he felt that there are consequences that we suffer when we fail to fulfill these age-related tasks. He suggested that the longest and for many, the most important period was midlife, which begins around age 30, 35 and continues until age 60 or later. Erickson suggested that the primary goal of that period for all of us, is what he called generativity. And he suggested that when we fail to achieve generativity, we'll suffer from a sense of stagnation. What he meant by generativity is an inborn need in all of us to feel that in some way we are being generative in our lives, that we're, that we're doing something that will benefit others and the world. So that each of us hopefully could say, should I die tomorrow? in some small way, the world might be a better place for my having been in it. Now, some people achieve a sense of generativity in their work. Others achieve it through parenting children, through creative artistic expression, through volunteer service, through simply being a good neighbor or through a combination of these things. And while this need manifests itself most dominantly, perhaps in the middle of our lives, I think it's with, a, with us throughout our entire adulthood. Whatever our age, I think we all need to feel that we're doing something that is of value to other people. And this drive to be generative, which adds meaning to our existence, I think helps to make it possible for us to live in the present and not be dragged down by the failures and painful experiences of the past. I have found personally that the need for generativity or deeper meaning in life has emerged a lot more prominently during the pandemic than usual among those who I see in therapy, as well among my friends and family. Something about the almost apocalyptic nature of what we've been through have caused many people to start asking, is my life on the right path? Do I wanna continue the path I am on for the rest of my life, or is it time for a change? And I think that for most people, this is probably a good question to be asking. It suggests that one is looking deeper and not taking anything for granted, which may be a direct result of the isolation that the pandemic has forced on us. Now, for some, this may result in social or professional changes 
new and maybe productive beginnings that they might not have considered without having experienced the pandemic. And in essence, this could end up in many cases being another illustration in the terms of Iran song of grace arising from harm. Now that's more the macro perspective of what some are experiencing and seeking new beginnings at this time. But from a more micro daily perspective, beginning anew at this juncture may mean becoming aware that we're perhaps not as stuck as we sometimes think we are. What feels to us like being stuck in a groundhog day-like pattern during the isolation of COVID may be masking the possibility that we are evolving in ways that will only become apparent with time. And then in fact, we are much more resilient than we ever realized. And I'm guessing that that's the case. What has struck me throughout the 45 years that I've worked as a psychotherapist and has really struck me during this pandemic is just how resilient and persistent most people are in the face of adversity. I think most people have done amazingly well in coping with the stress of this past year. We New Yorkers have done amazingly well, and I feel proud to be a New Yorker. I really do. Originally a Californian, but now I'm a New Yorker. And it's not just those of us who live with the comfort of privilege who've done well, but I think those who live in poverty and more confined physical space and suffer the effects of social, economic, and racial inequality have done amazingly well. In fact, in many instances, probably better than many of us who live with the benefits of privilege. The news makes a lot, and I think far too much, of the increased violent crime that has occurred during this crisis. And of course, those who live in environments of abuse and neglect will be more prone to suffer the effects of that violence. But what we don't see or hear nearly enough in the news is how the vast majority of those living in even the worst conditions have done amazingly resilient and often heroic things throughout this pandemic. Look at all the frontline workers that we pray for in our prayer each week. Those who are servants at the takeout counter or in the grocery store, or who collect the garbage and clean the buildings that we frequent. These people are not by and large among the privileged class. They put themselves at risk for a year to do the necessary tasks that we all depend on. I don't know what your experience has been, but mine has been that these frontline workers by and large have maintained a friendly, helpful, and compassionate attitude, which is a tribute to their wonderful resilience. I'm guessing that for many of those workers, getting out of bed and going to work most days requires a courageous attitude of trying to begin anew, a feeling, I will make it through this day and I'll be okay. And to be fair to those of us who live in less demanding situations, but also have experienced the pain and isolation of a pandemic, I think we've also done very well. With the help of the human persistence and resilience that I think we all share, I think we too have learned how to start most, if not all days, with at least an implicit understanding that whatever has happened in the past year, this is a new day today. And I think our spiritual practice helps us tremendously in trying to maintain that attitude. It's my perception that through meditation and self-reflection, Many of us have learned during this pandemic not only how much we can endure, but also how much other people mean to us, and how fortunate we are to have what we do have. For many of us, that just means a good roof over our heads, food on the table, not worrying how we're going to manage. And that attitude of gratitude, 
I think will help us well when we emerge from the other side of this crisis. Not to say that the next few months are going to be easy because they're not. And I think for many of us, our patience may be running thin. It's been a long winter. February always feels like a long and difficult month. You know, uh, studies show that there is more depression and more suicide in February than any other month of the year. But now we're into March. The weather is getting, not today, but starting soon, the weather is getting warmer. The days are getting longer. And next Sunday, we already begin daylight savings time. Even the youngest among us will probably be vaccinated within the next couple of months. In short, the end is in sight and there's reason for optimism. And this recalls for me a motif that I've discussed in previous Dharma talks and that I think is a universal reality that one sees in mythology, psychology, all of nature, a basic pattern of the universe, if you will. Carl Jung wrote a lot about it. It's called the De Profundis motif. De Profundis, which simply means out of the depths or out of the darkness. It's a motif that suggests that after darkness, there is light. After death, there is new life. After winter, there is spring. After a pandemic, there are new beginnings. And I really believe that this pattern is universal and inescapable. When this pandemic is all over, I don't think the new normal is gonna be anything like the old normal. I hope and believe that it will provide us with the opportunity to really begin anew in terms of how we collectively deal with divisiveness, injustice, inequality, global warming. It will also give us a chance to reevaluate our lives as we each personally adjust to the post-pandemic world. But beginning anew will not only mean looking toward the future, I think it also is going to have to mean looking backward and acknowledging the past we've all shared. In a book that I've just read this past week that I really highly recommend uh, called Healing Collective Trauma, which he wrote before the pandemic began, the Austrian spiritual teacher Thomas Hubel suggests that the transformative change can only occur when we, and after we have acknowledged and accepted the mistakes of the past. Our society will overcome racism, sexism, greed, destruction of the planet, only when we acknowledge our mistakes. The toxic parts of our history and the roles that each of us has unwittingly played in shaping and perpetuating that history. Hubel suggests that we share what he calls a collective shadow that we need to acknowledge and to own. He says, quote, to be transcended, the karmic residue of our collective past must be acknowledged, integrated, and healed. As we create coherence in our collective fields, our societies will begin to engage in healthy, complex resolution in new systems of healthcare, education, and law. This ownership of the collective shadow permits communities to work together to solve systemic problems as well as to prevent them. He adds, it's not enough to prophesy impending darkness. It should be our aim to grow very clear and available to the whispers of subtle transformation. So we may offer ourselves in the service of integration and therefore of a healed tomorrow. I think those are wonderful words. And as I ponder these words, I can't help but think, as I'm sure many of us do, 
how we as a Sangha, as a society, as a world, may begin anew as we hopefully start to come to terms with our collective shadows and find new ways to cultivate compassion, empathy, and mutual respect in a post-pandemic world. Will we meet that challenge? I really think we will. I hope so. I think we can. And that challenge, that opportunity lies ahead of us. And we each have something to say about how that plays out. Thank you for letting me share my thoughts with you this morning.